Well, good evening, everyone. We're glad you're here tonight. Thank you for coming out. We're going to take a journey through specific references tonight. We're going to be looking them up and go through these various passages with the goal of objectively saying, can we conclude that hell is a real place? Can we actually determine in light of statements that hell is a real place so that we should actually believe that. So before we start on this journey tonight, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your people who've come out to partake of it. We pray that you would just continue as we go through this study to accomplish what needs to be accomplished, Lord. This place of hell is something that needs to be very seriously considered and seriously studied. And I pray, Lord, that you would just illumine us by the power of your Holy Spirit as we go through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're going to march through a lot of passages tonight. We're going to start in Matthew 5. I'd like you to go down to Matthew 5, and we're going to be looking, first of all, at verse 22. And I'm going to point out specific grammatical things about most of these texts that we go through tonight for your consideration. And you can kind of make notes if you like, or you can look them up yourself if you got that book that we recommended that you get, that you can actually go and analyze these things yourself. You'll see what we're going to say tonight. But the first reference we want to take you to, there are a bunch of references in which Jesus Christ himself refers to hell, and certainly he would be a person who would be in a position to know about this place because he has seen it. None of us have seen it. He obviously is aware of it. In fact, he created it as part of the Godhead. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So hell is a place that he had seen that he had actually created. So when he speaks of this, he's speaking as one who would have a great deal of insight concerning this place. Now, in Matthew 5, 22, we read, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says... To his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now, I want to just point out some things that are significant. First of all, when Jesus says, I say to you in verse 22, it's very emphatic. He wants us to realize that he's the one saying this to us. And then he basically says you shall be guilty enough or liable to go into the fiery hell or the hell literally it reads the hell of the fire and he says you're going into it and he uses a preposition into that would indicate you are outside you're not in this place but you can go into this place and it is the hell of the fire hell. Now, when he uses that kind of language, wouldn't you conclude there must be a real place that's that? Just by that statement, there must be a real place that he's referring to there. Now, the second reference I want you to go to is in the same chapter. It's verses 29 and 30. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell and if your right eye makes you stumble cut it off and throw it from you for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to go into hell and again he uses the preposition into you're not there 
but you can go into this place. And that's exactly what he uses there. Now, the point of his discussion here was to show that nobody had a righteousness that could get them into heaven. That's why he's there. They need to believe in him. And he uses these illustrations of what one would have to do if they were going to be as righteous as God. They'd have to actually mangle and maim themselves. And that wouldn't even do it because obviously if you cut off your right hand, you still have your left hand. And if you pluck out an eye, you still have another eye. So that wouldn't even do it. He's making a point that nobody in this nation has the righteousness necessary to get into heaven, which is why I'm here to give you that righteousness. And that's the argument of the text. But the point I want you to see here is that he's saying there is a place you can go into that you're not presently in. That's the point I want you to see by the preposition into. And also, the other thing that I want to point out here is before the noun hell, in both verse 29 and in verse 30, there is no article the, which means you can go into a place that is everything of the character and quality that hell is. Now, when he makes a statement like that, I would assume just from making a statement like that, a general observation, yeah, there probably is a real hell there. I mean, when he's talking like that, there must be a real place that is hell. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 19. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 19. And Jesus is talking here about one that could be cast into this place. And he basically says in 719, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And again, he's using the preposition ice into. I told you when you had that chart that we went through in our how to study the Bible, and you have that circle, when you use that preposition into, you're outside the circle, you're going into the circle. And so by using that, he's basically saying you're not in the fire, but the threat is you can go into the fire. And that's the point of that. Now let's go to Matthew 8, 12. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 12. And in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus says, But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, we certainly can observe that Jesus says there is a place where, and that's the language that he uses there, there is a place where there is going to be this weeping and gnashing of teeth, and this place where this exists is a place that one can be cast, and it can be cast into a place and this is the way it would read, of the darkness, it's the darkness place where there is the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth. That's how it actually reads. There is the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth. So he basically says there's a place where people can go into where there is the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth place. That basically is what he's saying there. Now, when you read a statement like that, again, I come back to this point. It would certainly appear to me, from what Jesus is saying, is there is a real place. A real place, and that's what we're addressing here. Can we say that there is a real place, hell? And when you look at the language of what Christ is actually saying grammatically, you would have to say, yeah, there's a real place. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 15. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 15. Now, he's talking here about a judgment that would come upon 
a city that would reject the Lord Jesus Christ and would have these people who would be in the city presenting to them the truth and displaying the fact that they were presenting them the truth by special miracles that he had authorized them to do. That's the context of all of this. But then he says in verse 15, truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So if they go into a city and the people reject him, he said there is going to come a judgment that will be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Let's go back to the Sodom and Gomorrah judgment and think for a minute how it could be worse. So go back to Genesis 19, if you would, for a second. Genesis chapter 19. And I think we kind of get a glimpse here as to the kind of judgment that went down in Sodom and Gomorrah. We get a pretty graphic picture of what happened. And I want to draw your attention to verse 24. We read, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. And then if you drop down to verse 29, Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Now, He says in verse 15 of Matthew 10 that the judgment that would come upon the people who had rejected him would be worse than that judgment. It would be worse than the judgment that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, the judgment that was leveled against Sodom and Gomorrah was a fire judgment. That's obvious from what we see in Genesis, a fire and brimstone judgment. It was an instant judgment. It came instantly and it destroyed that part of the world, and it was a literal judgment. Now, what in the world could be worse than that? You get a fire judgment that is a literal fire judgment. It's an instant judgment. The thing that would make it worse is if it's an eternal judgment. In other words, if one were eternally suffering fire and eternally being judged, and it was literal... Like Sodom and Gomorrah, that would be worse. And that is exactly what Jesus is referring to by that statement. Now let's go to same chapter, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. We read, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. What Jesus said is you want to fear God and certainly believe in the Lord in the context of this who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And the preposition he uses is not the one into here, it's in, which would indicate the destruction takes place or the kind of eternal destruction judgment takes place when you're in there, when you're in there. So this has reference to the fact you're not going in, you're actually in there, and that's where the destructive eternal judgment is occurring while you're in hell. Then let's go to Matthew 11.22. Matthew 11.22. And we read in verse 22, Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment then for you and you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, 
For if the miracles that occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Now, you'll notice where the punishment takes place. You're going to descend into Hades, and you're going to experience the judgment of being in Hades in what he called, verse 22, the day of judgment. So there will be a day of judgment in which the day of judgment will give a worse judgment that occurred at Sodom and Gomorrah and going to be in this Hades place. So again, when we just read the words of the Lord Jesus, it would appear to me he's really talking about a literal place here that does exist. We're not talking about some place that he's just imagining. I mean, he's talking about there's a real place. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 50. Well, actually, verse 40, we want to start first. Matthew 13, 40. And we read, So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Jesus said there's this place of fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. People will be thrown into this. It's called furnace of fire where there will be the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth. And that's the way that you read that. And they're thrown into. They're not in there yet. They're going into this. They're going to be thrown into it. Now, he uses the analogy in verse 40. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire... Okay, does that really happen? Are weeds literally gathered up and burned? Yes. Weeds are gathered up and they are literally burned, all right? So then if he's making a comparative analogy that just as weeds are gathered up or tares are gathered up and burned with fire, now he says, so what's going to happen when the Lord Jesus Christ returns is he's going to ultimately throw lawless people who rejected him into this furnace of fire, and he says there, there shall be future indicative, it's going to happen in the future, it's a fact, indicative mood, there shall be the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth as people are in this furnace of fireplace. Now, does that sound like some symbolic language to you? I mean, does that sound like it's metaphorical language? Boy, that's pretty pointed that there's this real place here that he's talking about where these kinds of things actually happen. And then also, one more we would add to this particular context. We had you write it in, Matthew 16, 18. And in Matthew 16, 18, we see when Peter gives the testimony that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, blessed are you. And he says in verse 18, I also say to you, you are Peter upon this rock, upon the rock of the testimony you just gave that I'm the Savior, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, Jesus describes this place, Hades and hell, as having gates. Okay, so he uses the word pulai, which is gates in Greek. He uses that particular word for gates. So we say, well, now, when he talks about something with gates, is he talking about a real place, or is he not talking about a real place when he talks about something with gates? Well, 
Hold your finger here and just go over to Luke 7, 12 for a minute. Luke 7, 12, because the word is used here in Luke 7, 12. This is the Lord Jesus, verse 11. Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nine, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, I mean, there's the same word. So you look at that noun gate and you say, well, now he talks about the noun gate and he uses the noun gates as an entrance place to hell. And by using that noun gates, it would seem to suggest there's an entrance place where people go into hell. There's actually a place, a location. They go through those gates. When they go through those gates, they end up in hell. There's nothing there that I would see that's symbolic about this. This is very real in the way that the Lord Jesus is presenting this. Then let's go to Matthew 18 and verse 7. Matthew 18 and verse 7. We read in verse 7, Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it's inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. Now, here's something that's very powerful. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out, throw it from you. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. So the point I want you to see here, and this is really, again, designed to show they didn't have the righteousness to go to heaven. That's why they needed to believe in him. That's why he was here. That's the whole flow of the context of all of this. But he mentions this place, the eternal fireplace, and the fiery hell, the hell, the fireplace. He's talking about that in verses 7 to 9, and he uses the preposition into, which you're not in there yet, but you can be cast into this place that has this fire. You can be cast literally into this place that has this fire. So again, we're wrestling with the issue, does it appear that this is a real place? Yes, it does. It appears from the language. I mean, you just examine what's stated here, and you have to say, well, it does seem to say that this is a very real place that a person can go into. Let's go to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. And verse 13, Matthew 22 and verse 13. And we read, Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, throw him into that outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Cast into, you have your preposition into, you're not in there, but you can go into this place. It's the darkness, the outer darkness, where there will be the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth. And I understand that to mean, when he keeps using that article, the, the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth. He's actually individually particularizing it, specifying it. In other words, this is a place where people will be, where they themselves will be weeping, they themselves will be gnashing their own teeth. That's the language there, which would indicate there's going to be certainly some form of body, and we'll certainly see that in another study. Now, in Matthew 24, 51, Matthew 24, 51, and we read in Matthew 24, 51, these words, 
and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth. And he particularly uses the word there in that place. He calls it a place. A place where there will be weeping and the gnashing of the teeth. And the word for place here, which is morass, is a particular word that would seem to suggest it's a place where one is assigned and it has divisions. That's in that word there. It is a place where this weeping, and it could be divisions where a person in this place never sees anybody else ever. I mean, it could be they're in their own specific division or own specific assigned place where there is this fiery place where there's the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth. And then in Matthew 25, 30, in that verse, we read, Throw out the wicked, worthless slave into the outer darkness in that place. There will be the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth. And I want to point out that the place there, I mean, just those words, place there, would indicate it's a real place. There is a real place there. That's the way you can see that. There's a real place there where there is the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth. The reason I am laying out all of this framework for this is because one of the attacks against the doctrine of hell is it's not real. It's just imagine almost fairy tale type of place. And so we're saying, okay, can we establish from the words that are actually used in the Bible that this is a real place or is this just some type of symbolic metaphorical language that's being used here? There's nothing we've seen so far that I would say to you really indicates this is some metaphorical concept that Jesus is trying to present to the world. It would seem to me by the use of the language that he's using here, he's presenting this is a very, very real place. Now we go to Matthew 25, 41. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So in Matthew 25, 41, Jesus says there is a place one may be judged with eternal fire. And it literally reads, you're going into this place. You're not in it. You're not in it. You're going into this place, the place of fire, the eternal fire. That's how it reads. So again, just general observation. That language is pretty literal. Nothing there would indicate he's talking about some type of abstract concept. In Matthew 25 and verse 46, these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, Jesus said there's a place of eternal punishment, and he says there is a place of eternal life. The word for punishment, a kolasin, is a particular word that would indicate this is a place of disciplinary punishment. And by the way, that's something that needs to be understood about hell. It's not a place of reform, it's a place of punishment. There's no hint here, this place is designed to reform people, to get them to change their perspectives of things. This is a place of punishment. The idea that we're going to reform and rehabilitate people here is just non-biblical. When people go into this place, they're going there for 
the purpose of punishment, and that's it. And they never get a chance to reform or to change or transform their minds or lives once you get into this place because it's eternal, and that's the stress of it. Now, let's go to another one, Mark 9, Mark 9, 42. Mark 9, 42 to 49. There's a lot of things that are given here. In Mark 9, 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he'd been cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out, for it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Now that is a powerful text of scripture. First of all, it's using that preposition into all the time, thrown into this place. So you're not in it, you're cast into it. And then it talks about the fact that it's a place of fire, a fire that is eternal fire. It's unquenchable fire. You can't put it out. And it's a place when you go in there that's called hell, And it's very clear that once you get into this place, and it just keeps being restressed, you don't die. You don't die. A worm doesn't die. So someone who is in this place doesn't just burn up and die. One that's in this place is there, and they are there forever, and they are there in obviously a flame of hell that is a fire, unquenchable fire, and that's where they're going to live, and that's where they're going to exist. So when you look at that passage right there, you'd say, well, man, oh, man, the Lord Jesus Christ is certainly presenting the idea that there is this real place, so you don't want to go there. And, of course, he's the way of not going there. He's trying to tell people, if you come to me and you believe I'm the one that can keep you out of this place. But if you don't come to me, your sin is going to put you right into this place. Now let's go to another one. I'd have you go to Luke chapter 12. I had you write in the other ones there, but but that's all right. We'll cover them another time. Luke chapter 12 and verse 46. We read in Luke 12, 46, The master of the slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Now, he uses the word place. It's that word maras again, that word place, which is a place that has, it's a real place where unbelievers go, and that's the context, it's a real place where unbelievers go, and it seems to have different divisions or categories, that might not be the right word, but there's different dimensions to this, which would seem to imply that if you go there, you could actually be in your own place, it would be divided off from all the other places, I mean, you could build a case from just that word, and you would be in this place where you're burning forever. You're never going to burn up. It's unquenchable fire, and that's the place where unbelievers go. He says there is a place where unbelievers go. That's what he says there. 
And then in Luke 13, I'd have you go there, Luke 13, and verse 28. In that place, there will be the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. Now, let's just talk about that one tonight, and because of our time is gone, we're going to have to stop here, but let's just talk about this for a minute. Jesus speaks here of a judgment place that is a place where there is the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth, and that's the grammatical structure, and this is a place that is real, that features the fact that they can see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. So what we would have to ask ourselves, if we're asking the question, is hell a real place, is was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob real people? Were the prophets real people? And if they're able to see that, would that mean then that this is real people in a real place seeing these people? And the conclusion that you have to come to here is, yes, there must be a real place where there is the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth. It's a real place that features real people, just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were real, just like the prophets were real. There is this real place called hell. So, based on just an objective analysis, systematic analysis of passages that mention this, we would have to say, does the Bible teach that hell's a real place? Absolutely. Absolutely it does. This is not just some feeling, or this is not just some eschatological fable. We're talking here about a very real place, and people need to understand that, because if they die without Jesus Christ, that's where they're going. And it's very real. And they're not going to get out. And it will never end. It will never end. And we'll establish that more later on. Well, our time is gone tonight. I hope to get through all these references, but we're not going to be able to do it tonight. We've got a great Lord's Day plan for your Sunday. It's another powerful text in Romans we're looking at. And we introduced to you a real interesting book Sunday night. You're going to find it interesting. The book of Nahum. So I think you're going to be really interested in that book. So thank you for coming. Good night. The Lord bless you.